0: next two months, because uh, as Americans, we're going to have front row seats to watch the magicians of our two dueling political parties (laughs) take this one country of ours, this country that we love and that we live in, and make it appear like two completely different places at the same time. And the enchantment that that they're going to use to accomplish that has nothing to do with the supernatural, but rather it's with the easily... Manipulated mathematics of information with statistics, right? With raw data, that, that depending on how you piece it together, uh, you could really illustrate almost anything with it. Is that? Oh, it's okay. No worries, brother. But uh, so, so with these statistics, you could really illustrate almost anything. Like these, these three horses, these three race horses that are staying in a stable together. Uh, And one of them starts to to boast about his his track record to the others. He said, you know, in my last 15 races, I won eight of them, and that's 53.3%. Well, another horse broke in and said, yeah, that's okay, but uh, in my last 27 races, I won 19, and that's 70.37%. Well, that's real good, said said another, but in in my last 36 races, I won 28, and that's 77.77%. Well, well, at this point, the horses noticed this greyhound dog who had been sitting, uh, just listening. Who, who spoke up and said, "You know, guys, I, I don't want to boast." The greyhound said, "But in my last ninety races, I won eighty-eight of them, and fellas, that's ninety-seven point seven eight percent." Well, the, the the horses were just—they were completely blown away, completely amazed—and they fell into this hush silence until one of them finally spoke up and said, "Wow." a talking dog <laughs> see I told you you can tell any kind of story you want with statistics right? <laughs> because as one social critic observed most of us uh, use statistics like a drunk person uses a street light and that's for support rather than illumination uh, and even it's really even more so now in this age of Uh, partisan division and fake news where even the basis for our assumption of facts are called into question uh, and that really may in large part lead to this deficit that we're having uh, in the 21st century American church and that's the deficit of a true biblical worldview and so just like we've done in the previous two weeks uh, what I want to look at with you and talk about today is about understanding and recapturing a back-to-basics understanding Of our christian faith and a reconnection with the true classical historic worldview that humanity as a whole has somehow seemed to lost and and the odd thing about that when you think about it uh, is that on the one hand we demand truth in almost every other area of our lives right i mean we we demand truth from our spouses we demand truth from our children we demand truth from our doctors and our pharmacists and our financial advisors but despite our unwavering demand for truth in all of those other areas of our lives, there's a whole lot of people out there, guys, that aren't really all that interested in truth when it comes to the big questions of life that we've been looking at. Right? Remember the questions uh, of uh, our origin and about our meaning, the role of morality in our society, and finally and ultimately uh, our eternal destiny after we die. And you've probably already seen by now in the sermon title that it's the morality question that I want to try and and tackle today. And as we've been doing, we're going to be using today's psalm text as our guide, Psalm 106, that moves the narrative along from where we started this mini-series back in Psalm 104 with our origin in God's special creation. And then on to Psalm 105 that spelled out how God infused meaning into the lives of the patriarchs. And that means by extension to us as we uh, work out his divine purposes. And then today uh, we're going to see his intention in providing clear guidelines and fixed boundaries in the areas of morality in our person-to-person relationships with each other uh, and in how we relate to him as, as God uh, gives his royal law to his chosen people in the Exodus. And so Psalm 106 is, it, it may be the longest one I've read to you guys so far, but it's just chock full of information. So I hope you'll join me there. Psalm 106. And our psalmist writes today, Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all His praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when You show favor to Your people. Help me when You save them that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake. That he might be made known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries, not one of them was left. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise, but they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness. They put God to the test in the desert. And he gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the company of Abram. Fire broke out in their company, and a flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf at Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done wondrous things in Egypt, Wondrous works in the land of him and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them had not Moses his chosen one stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness, would make their offspring fall among the nations scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to the Baal at Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger by their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. And Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed, and that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation. They angered him at the waters of Meribah and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the horror in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times He delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, He looked upon their distress when He heard their cry. For their sake, He remembered His covenant and relented according to the abundance of His steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, it's uh, it's amazing how these old, old psalms have a way of, of speaking so poignantly to us today. But that's not by accident because, Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit superintends them and then he uses them and he infuses them with power to speak to hearts and minds for the hearer's glory and for our good. And so, Lord, we ask you to open our eyes now through this word that was read and this message that's delivered because we want to see Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. So I mentioned in the opening the poetic language of these last few psalms that we've been in kind of circles our attention back to the basics of our faith and the fundamentals of our relationship with God and with each other. And while Psalm 104 showed us that in the creation story, and Psalm 105 displayed that in the lives of the patriarchs, today's psalm points to the foundational underpinnings of God's covenant with his chosen people in the Exodus Uh, and the implications of the the moral law that he handed down at Mount Sinai. Uh, Handed down not as a series of suggestions and helpful hints on how to make it through life, uh, but as the very words of truth from the mind of God uh, and as a fixed reference against which we distinguish right from wrong. When it comes to conducting ourselves morally and ethically in our everyday lives, in a world like we're in, that increasingly rejects any idea of objective truth or moral absolutes but you know church contrary to what's being taught in our schools and promoted in today's secular culture truth is not relative truth is absolute Uh, if something is true it's true for all people at all times in all places and truth by definition is unqualified narrow and exclusive that's why our psalm today proclaims Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. And why is that? That I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones. That I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory in your inheritance. And guys, if you miss everything else that I say to you today, don't miss this, okay? What Psalm 106 is telling us about objective morality as a part of our worldview is, is that there is no blessedness in life apart from walking in the literal truth of God's Word. Right? There is no blessedness apart from walking in the literal truth of God's Word. The Word that sanctifies us from the world and that sets a standard for our obligations to God and to man and that points us to Christ because the Bible says God's Word is truth. It's not a truth, but the truth for His glory and our good Because you know, when God gave us those commandments, they weren't given to control us. They weren't given to to keep us under God's thumb. They were given to us for the freedom to really live. Think about it like this. Any of you guys remember Zig Ziglar? I know I talk about him all the time. He used to say a a ship can experience the freedom of the ocean, but without a rudder to guide it, it's just adrift and tossed about in the wind. And that's really the same with our lives. You know, what one commentator said of this, he said, God gave mankind his Torah to keep his people safe from the world. From a place where, after Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and could know the difference between right and wrong, good and bad, in short, he gave us a divine blueprint for moral and holy living, which is this I am the Creator who made you, worship only me. Do this. But don't do that or else other people may get hurt. Don't be jealous of the things that other people have. Be happy with what you have. And so God outlined through His Torah, through those first five books of Moses, exactly how He wanted us to live. And then the author finished the quote by saying this. He says, but since the very beginning, we have refused to abide by it, deciding instead to jump the fence. And that's why Psalm 106, poetic retelling of the story of the Exodus says, Then they believed his words. They sang his praise, but they soon forgot his works. They didn't wait for his counsel. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Church, remember, God did incredible things to bring his people out of bondage. Awesome deeds by the Red Sea, as we read. And he gave them food and water and safety in the wilderness. He met with them face to face on Mount Sinai, and he gave them the Ten Commandments, inscribed in stone with all of the, the moral precepts written to protect them and us from each other uh, and from ourselves and from the wrath and judgment of God. But, you know, just like the Israelites did with God's law, we've more than jumped the fence. We've basically taken a cliff dive into the Grand Canyon, right? And all in the name of doing things our own way in a modern-day America where we've thrown Christian values out of our schools uh, right along with prayer and, and Bible reading, and honestly have, have really have raised two generations of Americans who really don't want God in their lives. Uh, but truthfully, ha- that hate, uh, actually hate any form of godliness or traditional morality, and, and are instead actively embracing everything that God's law calls an abomination. Homosexuality, adultery, right? you name it, bigotry, uh, rioting, looting, Violent assaults that are now condoned. So, so basically, good is now bad, and, and and bad is good, all in the name of tolerance. And suddenly, everything we thought we knew has somehow, slowly but surely, step by step, gotten lost. And uh, I, I mentioned Robbie Zacharias to you before, whose work was kind of the inspiration for this miniseries. And Pam and Bill, you may have heard him say this, uh, but he said in the 1950s, kids lost their innocence. He said they were liberated from their parents by well-paying jobs, cars, and lyrics in music that gave rise to a new term, the generation gap. In the 1960s, kids lost their authority. It was a decade of protest. Church, state, and parents were all called into question and found wanting. Their authority was rejected, yet nothing ever replaced it. In the 1970s, kids lost their love. It was the decade of meism, dominated by hyphenated words beginning with self, self-image, self-esteem, self-assertion. It made for a lonely world. Kids learned everything there was to know about sex and forgot everything there was to know about love, and no one had the nerve to tell them that there was a difference. In the 1990s, kids lost their hope, stripped of innocence, authority, and love, and plagued by the horror of a nuclear nightmare large and growing numbers of this generation stopped believing in the future. In the 1990s, kids lost their power to reason. Less and less were they taught the very basics of language, truth, and logic, and they grew up with the irrationality of a postmodern world. In the new millennium, he says, kids woke up and found out that somewhere in the midst of all this change, they had lost their imagination. Violence and perversion entertained until no one could talk of killing innocents anymore since no one was innocent. And I would just add to that that today's kids, uh, in large part, have lost their faith. Faith, not just in the traditional values and cultural norms that we're used to, but but in the truth that we as Christians hold dear. And the proof of that is virtually all around us to see, right? As city after city in this country descend into madness uh, and steadily embrace ungodliness with open arms. Just just like Psalm 106 says the Israelites did. We read uh, in verse 35 there, and this sounds so familiar, right? This sounds just like today. So they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did, and served their idols which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. And brothers and sisters, as a nation, we have the blood of literal millions on our hands. Since the legalization of abortion in 1973, over 54 million unborn children have been killed. 54 million. That's more than, that's more than the entire population of Spain right now. That's about 150 babies per hour. <clears throat> Almost one every 24 seconds. And it strikes right at the core of our humanity, at the very heart, of the family and the foundations of our national morality along with the the vital tenets of historic Christianity by destroying the most basic human bond of all, the, the one between a mother and a child, severing that, that precious glue that binds our nation together and basically killing its young men and women before they ever get a chance to live. And, you know, in, in regards to that, even, even if we've never personally participated in one, even if you've never had one, you've never encouraged one or paid for one we're all no better than the bronze age Molech worshipers if we lend our support to a party or cast our vote for a candidate that promotes it and that may make some folks upset with me but perhaps saint augustine was right when he said people love the truth when it enlightens them but hate it when it convicts them uh, and so I, I truly mean that. Uh, as, as a Christian, I, I don't honestly believe there's any way to support a candidate that su- supports abortion, much less the late term abortions they do now. Uh, but you know, all of us, none of us like to be corrected, right? None of us like to, to hear those hard truths, right? I don't like to be corrected. Ask Vicki, she'll tell you. <laughs> right? But the truth is, we all need correcting because the Bible says we have all sinned. We've all sinned against God, we've all sinned against one another. We've sinned against nature and everything around us calls for our condemnation before a God who is not just good, but who is holy. And who is not only holy, but who is just. And the only thing that can bridge that huge chasm between those two extremes, between our wretchedness and His righteousness, is found in Jesus Christ and in His death on the cross. Because it's there at the cross where we see the unique revelation of the fullness of God's divine nature. That God is just, so he has to condemn our sins. But God is love. So he became a man. He became a man in the person of Jesus who lived a perfect, sinless life and goes to the cross where all of the justice and all of the wrath of God that I deserve was thrown down on him instead. The wrath and justice of God that should have fallen on you and on me, he took on himself in the person of his one and only son, so that our hearts and minds could be opened and so we could finally hear from God, so that we could be delivered from the the vanity and delusions of this world and its diseased affections and its upside-down ethics, and and so that we'll be set free from the need to always be justifying ourselves by virtue signaling, and, and we'll stop craving other people's approval, and we'll refuse to be moved by the crowd and by its pressures and finally genuinely take a stand for truth because you know honestly it's just way too easy to sit back and and look at the world around us and get discouraged isn't it Uh, it's too easy to to watch the news and say how awful everything is it's too easy to complain about our society and make judgments about people in general Uh, it's way too easy to share facebook posts that are long on diagnosis and short on remedy Uh, and, and hey i do those things too i'm i'm no different and, and we do it because if we're honest, sometimes it makes you and me feel like we're just a little bit better than all those other people out there. But the truth is just doing those things rarely changes anything. It's only the truths of God that we live out that matters. Because the lives that we lead and the truths of God that we actively model may be the only gospel that some people ever see. Right? Right? The lives that we live may be the only gospel that some folks ever see. And whether you realize it or not, your unsaved family and friends are watching. They're watching to see if there's any life-changing power in this word of God that you claim to believe in. Right? Because as I've said before in Sunday school class, you know, this Bible was not given to us just to increase our knowledge, but to change our day-to-day lives and the lives of others with God's truth. That's why Jesus said, everyone who loves the truth hears my voice. So my question as I close is, did you hear from him today? Did you hear from him in his word and as his truths were proclaimed? And if you did, don't, don't walk out of here and lose sight of that. Don't live your lives the rest of this week and make your decisions like that it doesn't matter. Do what he says. And if you haven't, if you, if you haven't heard from him today or maybe so far in your life, now is your chance Uh, As we pray together in in the closing lines of our psalm, save us, O Lord, gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise and let all the people say, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word. We thank you for your law. Uh, We thank you for its direction and its guidance. We thank you that it directs us to you and it directs us to our knees because we know we can't keep it on our own. And so, Father, we thank you that uh, pointing ahead from that law, you showed us Jesus. We thank you that he came to this world in the form of a man that he lived a sinless life and died on our behalf so that all the ways that we break your law can be forgiven. And, Lord, we thank you for speaking to our hearts today, and we ask you to be with us as we go out this week and keep that message fresh in our minds and close in our hearts. And we thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.